Good morning. Welcome uh, to First Presbyterian Church. I have good news and bad news. The good news is we have waited almost a year for the parts to replace our heating and air system, which is under this floor. Uh, the and they're, they're in. They've begun. The bad news is it takes 10 days to put it in, and you are experiencing the Sunday in between. So there is no access to heat this morning. So snuggle up, keep your coat on, and uh, it, it's okay. We'll be all right this morning. But that is why it's not just a little bit warmer in here. Hopefully, by next week, a whole new system will be running. I want to let you know, I'll remind you, it is the first Sunday of the month, which means we will have first Sunday supper this evening. If you would like to help prepare and cook, uh, please get to the Family Center gym about 3 o'clock. If you're more a cleanup kind of person, come closer to 4.30 or 5, and you can help them clean up. They would love any help uh, that can come. Also, uh, tomorrow, the Lenten Downtown Church's Lunch and Worship continues, and at 12.15 tomorrow, we'll be at First United Methodist Church this week. So just down the street, 12.15 to 12.45 is the service with lunch offered before or after and our Methodist friends are hosting. There is also our Lenten morning prayer continuing. It will be each Wednesday of Lent at 8 a.m. in our chapel, about a 15 or 20 minute service if you would like to attend and have morning prayer. Um, you might see Lindsay, raise your hand, Lindsay. You're not gonna do it during the service, are you? Lindsay is taking some pictures this morning. You might see her on the edges after worship taking pictures. It's for the website. We are not asking your permission for your image. We're going to use and abuse your image all over the place. So I apologize for that. Phil and uh, Callum actually are away this weekend, uh, and so it is us. With all of that in mind, let's worship God.
Our call to worship comes from Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, we take refuge. Let us never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver us and rescue us. Incline your ear to us and save us. Be to us a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save us. For you are our rock and our fortress. Let us pray. Lord, we come into this sanctuary with praise on our lips. We come here to give you all honor and glory. In our singing, in our silence, in our speaking, we pray that you would be glorified. It is in your name we ask it. Amen.
please remain standing and let us confess before God and before one another with boldness, trusting the throne of grace. Let us pray. Gracious God, we confess that the way of your Son sometimes feels like foolishness. Jesus preaches love when hate is simpler. He teaches peace when power is more tempting. He demands sacrifice when we would like life to be easier. It feels like foolishness, Lord. We confess our lack of understanding, our lack of imagination. Show us again the better way in this world, your way. Help us to seek love, peace, and sacrifice in our own lives, so that even if we are fools, we are fools for Christ Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Hear again the good news of Jesus Christ. He came into this world not to condemn the world, but to save it. Know that by his work in your life, he forgives you of your sin. And he calls you to a life of peace. Know, know that forgiveness. And now, let's sing our Lenten song to God's glory. seated. By the way, the organ does not like fluctuations in temperature. It may speak to us today. It's making a joyful noise either way, right? Let us pray. Lord, we trust that our lives are in your hands. Speak to us again your words of life. Show us again that we stand upon your firm foundation. As your word is read and proclaimed, make it a living word in our lives. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. We have two scriptures this morning. I'm going to read the John scripture first. It is from John chapter 12. Jesus is teaching, and he says this. Those who love their life lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? 
No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. And then a second reading from Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, the beginning of the letter. Paul says some quite extraordinary things, including this. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is despised and low in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I assume sometimes you sit around and you wonder what your pastors do during the week. Uh, If you are like my cousin, one of his favorite things to do is to call me, and if I don't answer, leave me voicemails like, you only work a half day a week, why aren't you answering? You know, it's really loving family time uh, from him. You have probably wondered the same thing. What in the world do you do during the week? Well, here's one example of something that happens during the week. One example that has stood out. A few months ago, I got a call here at the church office. It was a man, I think, I think if I'm remembering correctly, his name was Jim. And he said on the phone, he said, you don't know me, uh, but I wonder if we can talk about the Christian faith. Now this actually happens in your church office far more than you might realize. And so, I thought about it, to be real frank. I thought about it for a minute. And then I settled the phone, handset in between my ear and my shoulder, and I sat down, and I said, okay, okay. I thought I was going to have one of these conversations, just so you know. I assumed that Jim wanted to talk about leaving one denomination for another. That's a pretty common one that gets called about. Or I thought he maybe wanted to talk about some hot-button political issue Or maybe he was going through a terrible grief. That's what I thought. 
I was wrong. Pretty quickly, Jim got to the point. He said, I was raised a Christian, but I have a few questions. And those questions included, but were not limited to, why would we want to be part of a religion that follows some man from the Middle East? Why, if God is going to come to earth, why would he come over there and as a Jew? And why, why would we ever believe someone who was a savior would get himself killed? Jim said to me on the phone, I think the whole thing is a sham. And the conversation went from there. I have thought about Jim a lot since then. And there's a long list of problems with what he is asking. We know that there is a long list of problems with what he was asking, including his blatant racism and anti-Semitism, but scraping away those horrible biases, scraping away those horrible parts, it occurs to me that in a way Jim was right. He's right. What I proclaim to you every Sunday is foolishness. What we believe as Christians is foolishness. Or, or if we want to translate what Paul says here literally, it's madness. We believe that a Middle Eastern Jewish peasant was God's son. And we believe that the way we know that, the way the wisdom and power of God are shown in that, is that this peasant was crucified and killed by the Roman state. That's what we believe. Most people, as Paul says, would put their faith in signs or in wisdom, but we instead, we proclaim Christ crucified. It is foolish. It is madness. Each of these weeks in the season of Lent, we're going to take an ordinary item and we're going to look at it a little deeper in our faith. So last week, for example, was bread and one of the coming weeks is coins. Take an ordinary thing we might see anywhere and, and go deeper with our Lenten understanding of it, right? And this week's object is the cross. Now, the cross is not quite as common as bread, probably, but it's close. It's close. We see them everywhere. Here. Here. On steeples, on our walls, around our necks. The cross is ubiquitous, the old rugged cross. It is commonplace. We see it everywhere, and it means that sometimes we've seen it so often we can forget that it is a scandal. It is a scandal, the cross. We have one right there, actually, really quite big one. You may not even notice it anymore. I think, I think it is brass. It's beautiful. It's, it's X in the middle. If you look closely, is nails. It's, it's beautiful. 
And the beauty of it can make us forget that it's like we have an electric chair hanging there. Or a noose. It is as offensive as that. A brass electric chair at the front of our sanctuary. That's what it is. It is not something you would talk about in polite company. It is certainly not something you'd want to tell your friends that you followed the teachings of someone who was killed on it. It is a scandal. The cross that we place at the center of our worship, it is a scandal. And not only that, not only a scandal, the cross was also a joke. It was a horrible, vulgar joke that the Romans told on everyone who saw it. They intentionally told a joke with it. Have you ever thought about that? They intentionally had this parody of lifting up someone who had gotten above their station. Someone who was low and should have stayed low who thought too highly of themselves. They lifted them up to show them that the joke was on them. The Romans would mock them for their attempts to be high. And the crowd was in on it. The crowd was in on the joke, along with the officials mocking the crucified for thinking they were so exalted. We see this. We read about this in Jesus' crucifixion, but he wasn't the only one. This was how it played out for everyone. It was common to catcall and mock and to conjole the crucified. Oh, come on down and show all of us. Show us how powerful you are now. It was a joke. And he wasn't the only one who got a sign above his head. They would put mocking signs above them. Emperor of all. Governor of the realm, king of the Jews. It is not only a scandal, but the cross was a joke. This horrible and vulgar joke. And it is at the center of who we are. The cross is at the center of what we believe. The cross, as Paul puts it, The cross is the power and wisdom of God. That's what he says. The cross is the power and wisdom of God. And I want you to notice, he doesn't say the resurrection is the power and wisdom of God. We are not to Easter yet. That would have been simpler, right? That would have gotten us back to signs and wisdom. But he says, no, it's the cross that is the power and the wisdom of God. Of God. We proclaim Christ crucified. In a few moments, we will celebrate his death. That's what we say. We celebrate the death. The cross is at the center of it all. And we have to walk under it, we have to stumble over it if we're going to live as a Christian. So, on the phone with my new friend Jim, that conversation from a few months ago, I had no idea what to say to him. I tried a couple of things. I I said, um, I said, Jim, the thing is, um, all of us who are non-Jews, we're grateful because we're grafted onto this tree of life. We're really grateful because in Christ, 
God tied us to that tree of life whose roots are deep in Judaism. And so we're humble and we're grateful. He didn't like that. And then I tried this. I said, you know, I, I don't think, Jim, that we humans understand power the way that God understands power. I think God's power is completely different from what we think power is. He didn't like that either. But it's true. By God, it's true. It's true. God's weakness, his weakest weakness, is greater than human power. And God's most foolish foolishness is greater than human wisdom. It is foolishness, this cross. It is utter madness. And it is true. Paul says we're going to be considered fools for believing it, for following him, for trusting it. We're going to be fools to this world. But it is true. So often when we think of the cross, we think of things like the words from that old hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. It's the title of the sermon today, right? It might have made you think of the tune. I am not singing it today by myself, no solo today. But the first line of that old hymn, you may remember it, it goes, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And it is. It is the electric chair. It is the noose. But the cross was also a laugh. It was this entry point on this demarcation line of the old age behind it and the new age in front of it. It is God's laugh. The cross is at mistaken power and violence, mistaken violence, because what the Romans were doing figuratively, Jesus was doing literally. It's God's laugh. Stay with me for a moment, because I'm going to take a left turn, and I'm going to ask you about the Amelia Bedelia books. I promised it was a sharp turn. Did you ever read the Amelia Bedelia books? Come on now, raise your hand if you did, because I did. She is a housekeeper, and the whole book is a joke, because what they ask her to do figuratively, Amelia Bedelia always does, literally. So they will say, Amelia Bedelia, will you dust the furniture? And she goes and gathers powder and puts it all over the couch. <laughs> or they say, Amelia Bedelia, will you draw the drapes? And she gets out a pencil and paper and starts to sketch. The whole joke is what they say figuratively, she does literally. The cross, the cross is the Amelia Bedelia crux, very crux of our faith. The Romans did not realize that when they lifted Jesus up, he was really lifted up. He was exalted. They thought it was a joke, and he did it literally. They didn't get that when they put that sign over his head, king of the Jews, that he really was the king, that he really is the king. They didn't get it. They didn't know that his cross was his throne, 
his crucifixion was his coronation, that instead of saving himself like they taunted him to do, he died a fool. He died a fool, and his foolishness was greater than any wisdom they would ever know. Those who saw him that day, they were not in on the joke, but we are. We hear the laugh, even now, coming from the cross, even over the centuries, we hear the laugh of the old world and its wisdom being shown as foolishness. And we hear the laugh of God as the old world and its power being shown as weakness. We hear the laugh, and we know that the joke is on them, on the old ways. How can we follow a man who lived so long ago and so far away and who died as a criminal on a cross? How can we? It is a stumbling block to so many and a scandal, too, it can be for us as well when we take it seriously and honestly. But we trust that the cross is also a laugh, the last laugh against power that was always weak and against wisdom that was always folly. We trust that even God's foolishness is better than our best wisdom and God's weakness is better than our greatest power. The crosses are everywhere, especially in this town. You're going to see them all week long. I don't want you to overlook them this week. I want you to see them. When you see a cross this week, it is training you to look for God in the right places. Not in the exalted places, but in the weak places. And the scandalous and the foolish. That's what the cross points us to. It points us to where God is and what he is doing, and it mixes up for us all that the world would tell us we know. That's the cross. We look at it over and over and over again in our lives. The old rugged cross, we look at it over and over again so that it will teach us we are fools. We are fools in this world, fools for Christ. Amen. Some would say there's a fair amount of foolishness at this table. <laughs> that we're going to take simple things like bread, like a cup of juice, and we're going to pray and they're going to be holy. That they're going to be Christ's body and Christ's blood. That, that we are going to get around this table that is for sinners, not for saints. It's for those who have not figured it out. For those who need help, some would say that there's a lot of foolishness at this table. But it is also true. 
It is Christ's table. He is the host here, and he invites you. He invites you to be near him at this table. Let's pray. Hear us, O Christ, we pray. Breathe your spirit upon us and upon this bread and this cup. We pray that by your wisdom and by your power, they would become for us Christ's body, Christ's blood. We pray that as you change and make holy these common things, that you would also change us, make us holy. We trust that by your wisdom and by your power, this table is the union of heaven and earth. We pray that you would fulfill your eternal purpose in us, that you would fulfill your eternal purpose in this world. We offer this prayer as our Savior Christ has taught us. We are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We remember it was on the last night Jesus was with his disciples, that he was at a table, and on the table he took bread. Before their eyes he gave thanks to God for it. He broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Take and eat, and when you do, remember me. And after they had eaten the meal, Jesus took a cup from the table. He said, this cup represents a new covenant. And this covenant is sealed in my blood. Take, drink, remember me. So, as often as we eat this bread, as often as we drink this cup, we do remember him and we celebrate his death until he comes again. This is the table of Jesus Christ, and all who love him are welcome here. We will start at the back and come down the center aisles. Please take a piece of bread and a cup, return by the outer aisles, and we will eat and drink together. If you'd prefer to stay in your seat, we will come to you. Would the servers please come forward?
Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Abide in me. I abide in you. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this time of communion. We give you thanks that in your wisdom, this bite of bread, this sip of cup, nourishes us on our journey. We give you thanks that you take what is ordinary, what is even foolish, and you show us your wisdom in it. We pray this day for the many places in our world that seem so weak right now. For the people of Ukraine and Russia who live under the threat and violence of war. For refugees around the world and even in Palestine, Ohio, who do not know if they can return home. For all who are grieving, who are filled with sadness this day, Lord, we pray for all of the weak places. We pray that in your wisdom, they would know your strength. We offer to you now, both in silence and aloud, prayers for particular people and situations. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we thank you for feeding us in body, mind, and soul. And we ask that you would strengthen each of us in our lives this week. Help us to see as you see, to believe as you lead us. We ask that we would be your children in the world this week. It is in your name that we offer this prayer. Amen. We do not pass offering plates, but if you would like to give an offering following worship, there is a basket at the front or at the entrances. This music is an offering to God.
We give you thanks for this offering of music. We pray it is to your glory. We offer our very lives, our time, our talent, our energies. We offer them to you this day. Take and use them, we pray. It is in your name we offer it. Amen. On Communion Sundays, we do not go out into this world until we have affirmed who it is we are and what we believe.
And we use that uh, ancient creed, the Apostles' Creed, to do so. Please join me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's sing. this world in peace 
Be of good courage. Show to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. And in everything that you do, do it in the name of the Lord. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. Please greet one another in his name. Thank <laughs> you.